The title of our message this morning is God Plants a Church in Antioch. God Plants a Church in Antioch. That's the title of our message. And as you think about God planting a church in Antioch, I want you to think literally of God's hands reaching down and planting a church. Last night, we we had a, a little dinner thanking some of our Sunday morning ministry team leaders. And uh, I noticed out back behind Corey's house that he had he's planted two little pond fronds. You know, he, he's taken the coconuts. You can still see the coconut in the ground. And the palm frond is growing out of it. There's two of them right there. And, and this morning, as we, as we think about the, the message, God plants a church in Antioch. I want, you to, I want you to envision God's hands planting a church in the soil, in the ground. God's planting that church. And that, plant, that church is being planted in a city called Antioch. And just to kind of orient you, Antioch would be about 200 and some miles north of Jerusalem. If a map were here on the screen right now, what you would see is that Antioch is due north of Jerusalem, about the distance between Miami and Orlando. But Antioch is a very, very important city. It's probably the third largest city, or the third, third most important city in the whole Roman Empire of that time. The number one city would be Rome. Probably the number two city would be Alexandria on the North African coast. And here, Antioch, at the top of that map there, the capital of Syria, is probably the most important city. And here's something important about Antioch. It's a Gentile city. The word of God has thus far prospered in Jerusalem down in the south, all the way at the very bottom of this map. It's gone through Judea. It's gone through Samaria. Last week we heard about the word of God going to Caesarea, right there on the, on the coast, on the Mediterranean coast. And Cornelius, a Roman soldier, is converted, but only his small household. But today is a historic day, because now some 200 miles due north, the word of God is going to go to a Gentile city, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And God, imagine his hands, planting a church in Antioch, and not just any church. Brothers and sisters, this church will play a huge role in the book of Acts. And in fact, starting in Acts 13, this church will dominate the book of Acts. Because from this church, Saul, or then called Paul, will launch his missionary journeys across the then known world, all around the Mediterranean area, Greece, modern-day Greece, modern-day Turkey, into Italy, North Africa, and even Spain. From this little church that is being planted today, a historic day, a Gentile church, we're going to be looking at this church planting. God is planting a church from which the gospel will reach to the ends of the earth. This church is the church that planted the gospel into Europe. And we, most of us here, are from that church. Most of us come from a European background. This is the church. This is where it began. So let's now turn to Acts chapter 11, verse 19, to read about this church planting, this international church in in Antioch that God himself planted. Acts eleven nineteen, please. Now, 
Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia. Now, Phoenicia on this map would be represented by the cities of Sidon and Tyre on the coast there, just to the left of Damascus, what we would call modern-day Lebanon. So they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus. You can see Cyprus is the island in the Mediterranean just off the coast there. And Antioch, and they ended up going all the way up to Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. The gospel had been only for the Jews up to this point. But, verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. So these would have been Greek-speaking Jewish disciples of Christ from Cyprus and Cyrene, which is on the northern coast of Africa, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. And the Hellenists would have been both Greek-speaking non-Jews. Now, some may have been God-fearers, we don't know. Many of them were just total Gentiles, unbelievers. Greek-speaking non-Jews. Also preaching the Lord Jesus. So Jesus is being preached for the first time to a large number of Gentiles. Uh, Verse 21, friends, key verse. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Envision God's hand planting that church. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So you see Tarsus there on the map? That's where Saul was living at the time. So he went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, church, in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Verse 27, Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, anytime someone went from Jerusalem anywhere, they always came down. The reason being, Jerusalem was the mountain of the Lord. It was the place where God lived. So you always came down from Jerusalem to go to visit any place. So in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples in Antioch determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, if I were to offer you my hand in friendship, that means that I'm with you. I'm your friend. I'm supporting you. If I agree to offer you a helping hand, that means I'm going to to give you all the resources that I have to help you. And if I say, hey, buddy, I'm going to give you a hand moving next Saturday, that means I'm going to be present and my power is going to be there to help you move. Notice verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them. 
Just as my hand being with you to help you move next Saturday means that my presence will be there and my power will be there. Well, in a far greater way, friends, God's hand being with them, God's hand being with us meant for them that God's presence and God's power was with them. The hand of the Lord is a common biblical metaphor, a word picture for God's presence and power. And here in verse 21, the hand of the Lord being with them represented the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't an impersonal hand. This isn't a hand of fate. This is God, the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's a metaphor. It's a word picture. How is God with us? How is he present with us? How is his power with us? By the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. So God's hand being with them represented God's presence and God's power by the Holy Spirit with them so that when they preached Jesus, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Do you remember the the disciples' prayer in Acts chapter 4, verse 29? Let me display it for you here on the screen. Acts 4, 29. Perhaps a few years earlier, the disciples prayed this. Listen to their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you, verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, God's hand, God's presence, God's power, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Well, God answered that prayer. He answered it in this text. God, the Holy Spirit, was present and powerful. Present and powerful. To give them boldness to preach Jesus to a bunch of Gentiles in the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And they did it with power. And there was salvation. And a great number believed. And they turned to Jesus. Now, I want you to look at verse 31 again here of this prayer. Look what it says. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Friends, I want you to join with me right now in prayer that God would shake this auditorium this morning. He's no respecter of persons, nor generations, nor time. God does not live in time. He lives outside of time. For God, it is always the present, the now. And that God would fill us with his spirit, that his hand would be upon us, that his spirit, it is here, his spirit is here, but he would empower us now. He would empower me to speak the word. He would empower you to listen to the word. He would bring a stillness and a silence and a paying attentionness in here that would change our lives. And that we would go out of these doors with boldness to preach Jesus unashamed. Let's pray right now. Oh God, I pray, I pray like those disciples prayed over 2,000 years ago, that you would fill us with your spirit afresh and anew. I pray that you would extend your hand to do signs and wonders. Lord, that you would give the blind sight, that you would give the deaf hearing, Lord, that you would cause the hard heart to be softened, that you would give utterance to my stammering lips that are often cowardly lips, that you would give me boldness when I go out these doors at the end of this message today. Help us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this text that I'm reading to you today, it's a text that's simply a report. This is a historical 
theological report of God planting a church in Antioch. It's a report literally of the hand of God moving the hearts of men. The hand of God moving the hearts of men. It's all about God preparing Antioch. And if we could go back to the first map, God preparing Antioch to be the mission center for the gospel to go forth to the ends of the earth. Antioch. Antioch is going to take the place of Jerusalem. In chapter 13 of Acts, Antioch eclipses Jerusalem. And from 13 to the end of the book of the Acts, it's Antioch sending Paul. It's Antioch sending out missionary teams. It's Antioch. The the word of God is going throughout the whole known world. The rest of the book of Acts is going to chronicle that. So this chapter, these verses are very important. Antioch is taking over from Jerusalem as the center of the mission. Paul or Saul is taking over from Peter as the central figure. Now, next week I'll preach about Peter. But that's it. Once once chapter 13 hits, it's pretty much the Paul show. So it's very important, redemptive historically. Very, very important. That's the big picture. But oh, friends... What I want you to see is the hand of God doing this. If you can hold both intention, because we're going to drop down from the big, redemptive, historical, theological, God-moving, war room, big picture, and all the maps and the computer screens on the wall, and the world and how the war is going. We're going to drop down from that into the foxhole of my life and yours. But before we get down there, I want to stay up here for just a moment. Because it's important to understand this text. You see, if you look at this text, you see this movement between Jerusalem down here and Antioch up there. Look at it with me. Look at verses 19 and 20. What do we see in 19 and 20? We see a bunch of Jewish Christians, Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, fleeing Jerusalem because of the persecution of Stephen, going up all the way north to Antioch. So the movement is from Jerusalem to Antioch. They preach Jesus. The hand of the Lord is upon them. A bunch of Gentiles get saved. Verse 21. Verse 22a. Look what it says in verse 22a. As a result of that, the hand of the Lord saving, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So you have the arrow moving from Jerusalem to Antioch with those men preaching. Now you have the arrow moving from Antioch back to Jerusalem. What comes back to Jerusalem? A report, a text message, an email. No, no, probably someone just walked back from Orlando to Miami, took them several days, maybe a week or two, and said, guess what? A ton of Gentiles are now saved. There's this church in Antioch. Whoa! Now the arrow goes back from Jerusalem up to Antioch because what do the leaders in Jerusalem do? 22b, they send Barnabas to Antioch. Remember Barnabas? Barnabas, his nickname was what? Son of encouragement. He's the guy that, remember, sold the land and gave all the money so that the poor might be fed in opposition to Ananias and Sapphira who sold their land and lied about it and only gave part of the money and God killed them. 
That's another story. Uh, but the son of encouragement gave all that money. He's the one that when Paul, probably 10 years earlier, came to Jerusalem, and everybody said, don't hang out with Paul. Remember, he's killing all the Christians. And Paul said, no, 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 I'm now a Christian. I'm now saved. Barnabas was the guy that had courage to say, hey, come on, Paul. Come on with me. Hey, he's with me. Saul's with me. Don't worry. I vouch for him. He's the one that introduced now Saul to all the apostles 10 years older, earlier. So the son of encouragement gets sent from Jerusalem up to Antioch. He hangs out in Antioch for a year with Saul, preaching the word of God. And then look down in verse 27. We have another movement from Jerusalem up to Antioch. Christian prophets. Verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So they came down from the mountain of the Lord. They walked north to Antioch. And they they cared for the church. They gave prophetic words. They, they, They encouraged the brothers. And then the final arrow, the final movement from Antioch back down to Jerusalem occurs in verse 29. So the disciples of the church in Antioch determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So there was a huge famine in Judea down here in the south. The brothers in Antioch had a bunch of money. It was a big city, prosperous city. People were making lots of money. So they gave money, probably silver coins, put them in the pockets of Barnabas and Saul, said, you guys walk down from Orlando to Miami and you bring that money to all the believers in Judea so they can buy food because they were literally starving. Do you see the back and forth? Jerusalem, Antioch, Antioch, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Antioch, Antioch, Jerusalem, back and forth. So what God is trying to tell us in this text is that my hand is moving the hearts of men. This passage about this, this movement from Jerusalem to Antioch, this movement of the gospel to the ends of the earth, it is God, the Holy Spirit, moving men's hearts. Here's the question for you this morning. What is the hand of God moving your heart to do this morning? What is God, the Holy Spirit, who is here and present and powerful, moving you to do? It's more than just a history lesson. Nice nice graphics, Al. Can't really see that map, but it's pretty. This isn't a geography lesson. It's not a history lesson. This is God, the Holy Spirit, with us now, speaking to you. And what is he saying? And I think if you get your ear really close to this text, you're going to hear what he's saying to you. Listen carefully. Verse 23. This, I believe, is what God is saying to you. Verse 23. When he... Barnabas, you got your finger on verse 23? You're looking at verse 23? When he, Barnabas, came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. If you listen carefully, you will hear what the hand of God is saying to move the heart of man, your heart. You will hear what God the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, and I believe it is this, and I believe it's the main point of the message. Rejoice, rejoice in God's grace, and remain steadfast in God's purpose. Rejoice in God's grace, and remain steadfast in God's purpose. Oh, that's a great word for me this morning. It's a great word for you this morning. The hand of God, the hand of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is moving our hearts this morning, brothers and sisters, to rejoice in God's grace afresh and anew and to remain steadfast in God's purpose. Because how many of you know sometimes you get a little tired, get a little weary? Remain steadfast or faithful to God's purpose is just 
Perseverance. It, it was Barnabas's message to the new believers in Antioch, as we read in verse 23. And just as Barnabas, whose nickname is the son of encouragement, came and rejoiced in God's grace and exhorted or encouraged, which is a play on his nickname, son of encouragement, them to remain faithful to the Lord and with steadfast promise. Oh, friends, Jesus, the greater Barnabas, the greater son of encouragement, the son of encouragement, is here this morning by the Holy Spirit to cause us, to call us to rejoice in God's grace and to remain steadfast in God's purpose. So let's start by rejoicing in God's grace. Point one, rejoice in God's grace. What makes you glad? What makes you happy? What brings a smile to your face? What causes you to jump up and down? Now, sadly, I jump up and down about a lot of things. This is a confession now to you. Yesterday afternoon, I came back from the office. It was about 5 o'clock. My son was home from college. My wife was there, though she's not been feeling well. And so she was there as well. And I walk in the door, and I suddenly realize, to my great horror, that after a day of preparing the sermon, I do not have the one treat I love so much, college football. It's gone. So I turn on the TV. I'm hoping for college basketball. The Gators are playing. They're playing Mississippi State. I'm thinking, yeah, no, I don't have cable. There's nothing. Nothing. There's golf. Here's the confession. I click to NBC and they are showing rugby sevens. Rugby sevens? What is rugby? I don't know. By the end of the game, I'm jumping up and down, screaming with Joe and Desi that they get a a set or whatever it is, and they kick this thing to get into the trophy round. I don't even know what the trophy round was, but it was the U.S. against Spain, and they had to score three times in a minute and a half. That I understood. How they got there, I didn't understand. And at the end, this guy had to drop kick this thing through this thing, and if they got that, they got 22 points, and they would go to the trophy round. I'm going, Joe, what's the trophy round? I go, I don't know. We're screaming our heads off. That the U.S. wouldn't make the kick, and the guy made the kick. (laughs) Sad, isn't it? (laughs) Okay, in all seriousness, what makes you happy? What gets you off the chair? What gets you jumping up and down? Is it God's grace? It's okay to jump up and down at rugby sevens. But, but is it God's grace? Is it God's hand moving the hearts of men to believe in Jesus and turn to him as their Lord and Savior? Barnabas saw that grace. That is to say, when he went to Antioch, he saw the hand of the Lord. He saw Gentiles being saved in large numbers. He saw that a great many men and women were added to the church. He saw that God planted this church in Antioch. And he was really, really happy. He was really glad. I love verse 23 where it says there, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And that Greek word can be translated rejoice, but glad's a good word. He was glad. Really glad. Super Bowl winning team glad. When we hear or see the grace of God converting folks and adding them to the church, are we glad? Church, are you glad that you had a part in God planting Sovereign Grace Church Miami a year ago? 
Does it make you happy, real happy this morning, that Jose Prado, the church planner, is going to baptize six folks today? Yeah. Oh, friends, let us rejoice in God's grace. Let us rejoice in the fact that the hand of the Lord sends us and the hand of the Lord is with us to preach Jesus to those in our community. The hand of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, gives us the grace to preach Jesus. And the hand of the Lord gives us the grace, gives them the grace as the Holy Spirit uses the very word we preach about Jesus to regenerate dead hearts, to convict guilty hearts that are guilty of sin. To break hard hearts so they might repent and to fill empty hearts with faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when this happens, when God's grace is poured out on a man or a woman for salvation, all of heaven rejoices and so so should we. Like, I'm ready to rejoice right now. If one of you were to say to me, just interrupt me right now and say, Hey Al, God's hand is with you and the Holy Spirit has given my dead heart life and my blind eye sight and my deaf ears hearing and I understand the gospel and I repent and I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Feel free to stand up and interrupt me at any time this morning. I mean, that's way better than the U.S. qualifying for some trophy round in rugby sevens. Or even if the Dolphins were somehow miraculously to win the Super Bowl next year. (laughs) May, May we live and rejoice and be aware of the grace of God. Barnabas saw it. Barnabas was glad. Do you see the grace of God here at Palm Vista this morning? I mean, we planted a church a year ago. By God's grace, his hand planted that church. It's a little, it's a little you know, palm frond, one or two little palm fronds sticking out of the ground. And, and maybe we, we're maybe, I don't know, 10, 6, 7, 8 foot palm tree right now with some coconuts there. And, you know, but, but it's just a little palm frond. You can even see the coconuts still. But God did that and he allowed us to participate in that. This last year, the smidgens adopted Lana, the Gavilans adopted Isaac. We had youth camps. We had Bible 45, where last fall we taught on on biblical theology. And right now, Corey's teaching on marriage. And I can hear him teaching on marriage through the wall because I'm teaching the new members class in the next classroom. And it sounds like they're having fun, and I think it's great stuff. And those that are in the class seem to be benefiting from it. And after he's done with marriage six weeks, he's going to do parenting. Let's rejoice in that. Rejoice in the Catalyst Youth Ministry. I I was there Friday night. I just kind of hung out in the back. I think sometimes I go just to hang out with my grandchildren. And so I had had Annabelle in my arms as Mindy and David were just hanging out with the youth, doing fun games, making me laugh so hard. And then then the Word of God came and and, and David preached on justification and adoption. And and I was able to lead the parents' uh, community group there and talk about it. And and I looked over at the snack table and a bunch of the ladies, I I probably missed somebody, but the Rodriguez's and Solani's, and there's a bunch of them, did this beautiful display of all these great, sweets that I can't eat because I ate way too much for Christmas and New Year's and, and it looked great and, and the, the drama team was there and they did a great drama and I rejoice in that. It was a packed house. I rejoice in singles, the reclaim ministry. Right now, Corey is, I believe, taking them through a whole series this year on the Holy Spirit, not alone. He's teaching on that. It's online, by the way. I rejoice in the grace of God. Great teachings there. 
the gifts of the Spirit, what we believe about the Spirit, and how we're not alone. God is with us, and He's with us powerfully. I rejoice in the new Financial Advisory Committee that has, that has volunteered to come up and advise us and, and have another set of eyes to look at our finances. And, and you know what's really cool? Our finances are pretty good right now. And we've never had a whole lot. We knew that. We've always invested everything we have into reaching the lost and, and investing in ministry. But thank you for giving. Giving, giving is at a good level right now. Thank you. I, that's the grace of God in a bad economy, right? That's faith on your part. That's, that's growth in Christ in your part. That's you seeing the eternal and not the temporal. Man, I rejoice in the grace of God. Can you rejoice in the grace of God this morning at Palm Vista? And do you see the grace of God in your own life? In the lives of those closest to you? Oh, listen, I invite you today to go home. Not yet, but to go home after I'm done preaching. And sit around the table. After you have a big meal, kind of push back from the table or you're having coffee or dessert. And someone, just say, hey, why don't we go around the table? And why don't each of us tell one or two things of the grace of God in my life? You've got to really look for it sometimes, but it's there. Like post-it notes all over the place where God's grace, and just start sharing God's grace with one another. And then after you do that, rejoice in God's grace. And some of you, you'll do it with a quiet hymn, and some of you, you'll do it with wild and crazy Latin music, and some of you may jump up and start dancing, or who knows, have a party will break out spontaneously. A couple of you will say, hey, it's almost dinner time, let's go roast a pig again or something, you know. But just rejoice in the grace of God. That's what God's calling us to do. And as you rejoice in God's grace, He's going to give you more grace to be steadfast in His purpose. Because sometimes we flag in our steadfastness. Sometimes we wane. Sometimes we grow weary. Sometimes we say, I don't want to do this anymore. Point two, remain steadfast in God's purpose. This is called perseverance, guys. Look again at verse 23. When he came, he saw the grace of God, speaking of Barnabas, and he was glad and he exhorted. That word exhorted is strong. It can also be translated encouraged. That Greek word, encouraged, exhorted. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is encouraging. He's exhorting. It's it's an encouragement with a little edge to it. Like, let's go. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast with, with steadfast purpose. What is God's purpose? Well, let's begin with the guy writing this. Luke, the historian, wrote Acts years after it occurred. Do you know that tradition says, and many scholars say, that Luke was probably saved during this revival in Antioch? Luke was from Antioch. See, the difference here is Luke is writing an eyewitness account, eyewitness news. Luke was one of those men who was sitting there in Antioch, a physician. He had a nice life. He had whatever the version of a nice car was then in Antioch at that time. He was making some good money. His life was good. He was having a little Turkish coffee sitting there in Antioch. And in blows a bunch of Jewish, Greek-speaking Jewish disciples of Jesus Christ. And his life is turned upside down. That's the purpose of God. Cosmopolitan Luke. Physician Luke is saved. 
Luke experienced the power of the Spirit, the hand of God with those men who were preaching Jesus, and the Spirit came with power and conviction, and Luke believed. And he turned to the Lord. So remaining steadfast in God's purpose means to be moved by the hand of God to be on mission with the gospel. That's what steadfast purpose means. It means to to be moved by the hand of God. Remember, the hand of God is God's Holy Spirit, His presence, His power. To be on mission with with the gospel. This report, this report is really about a bunch of men and women on mission with the gospel. And this report is meant to exhort us and encourage us to be steadfast in God's purpose and to be on mission with the gospel. What did it look like for them? What does it look like for us? Well, we've already talked about this. What it looked like for these Greek-speaking Jewish disciples was to leave Jerusalem and go preach the gospel in Antioch. What it looked like for Barnabas was to leave the comforts of Jerusalem. He was a Greek-speaking Jew and go to a thoroughly Gentile city and preach the gospel. And then to go get Saul and have Saul work with him in building the church. What it looked like to be on mission with the gospel was to build the church. Steadfast in God's purpose. On mission with the gospel. Now let's drop into the foxhole. Let's go in the foxhole. You ready? Verse 25. Let's look at what it, means, what it meant for them in the foxhole and then by expansion what it means for us. Verse 25. Let's go to 24. For he, Barnabas, was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas sees a great many people added to the Lord in Antioch. And look what he does in verse 25. And when he, excuse me, so Barnabas went to Tarsus. Can you put the map up there? Map one, please, again. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So it was about, I don't know, going around that little body of water, maybe 150 miles to Tarsus, And he goes looking for Saul. Remember, Saul was his buddy. Ten years earlier, he had befriended Saul in Jerusalem, introduced Saul to the apostles. So he sees there's a large number of people here. He remembers that God had converted Saul by knocking Saul off of his donkey and by giving Saul a word that he would be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he's saying, light bulb goes on, bing, revival amongst the Gentiles. Bing, Saul is going to be the apostle of the Gentiles. Bing, let's go get Saul. So he goes and gets Saul, without the verbal cues that I just gave you. And he finds him in Tarsus, and he brings him back, verse 25, verse 26 now. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. Okay, so this is the foxhole now. What what does it mean there that they met with the church and taught a great many people. This is what it means to be on mission with the gospel. This is what it means to be uh, faithful to God's purpose. Here's what it meant. First of all, the word used there for church is ecclesia or ecclesia. That's a key word. That's a key word because that's the same word that was used to describe God's people when they were primarily Jewish believers, Jewish disciples in Jerusalem. So what God is saying is we have the same people of God who used to be purely Jewish. The race was Jewish. They were all Jews. 
Now we're going to call the people of God, people up in Antioch who are Gentiles. So it's ecclesia, ecclesia, the people of God, the church. They met with the church. This is God's people. That's very important. What did they do? Well, when they met with God's people, because it's the church, don't you think it would be interesting for us to go back and see what it meant for the church to meet together in Jerusalem? At the very beginning of Acts, Corey taught us on this in Acts 2.42. What did the church do then? What did the ecclesia, the people of God, do when they met in Jerusalem? We'll look at Acts 2.42. That will inform us as to what it looks like to be on mission with the gospel. Look at 242. 2.42. And they, the church, the ecclesia, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and then go down to verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers, does that sound familiar? The Lord added to their numbers like he did in Antioch. Day by day, those who were being saved. All right, so what, what does it mean for, for, for them to be on mission with the gospel? It meant this. They gave instruction in the teachings of Jesus Christ. They emphasized the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus in the context of Hebrew scriptures, the teaching of the apostles. That's what the apostles learned from Jesus. That's what they gave the church in Jerusalem. That's what Barnabas and Saul gave the church in Antioch. They also had fellowship with one another, which included sharing meals. They went house to house. They met in the temple. That's like us meeting right here in the church building. And they went house to house. They broke bread together. Community groups. They celebrated the Lord's Supper. Typically, when they would have the meetings, and when they would eat, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper because the Lord said to do that. And they had prayers of praise and intercession. So being on mission with the gospel means you are participating in that. You are adding to that. You are making that a priority in your life. It means that you're being taught and that you're teaching one another in these contexts, that the focus is Jesus. But notice the second thing they did. Back now to chapter 11, verse 26. So they met with the church and taught a great many people. That English word, a great many people, you saw those words in verse 24. Remember verse 24? For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people. In Greek, oxlos ikanos. Oxlos ikanos. See, you come here and you get a couple of fancy words you can just throw around at people. Oxlos ikanos. A great many people. Same words. What did it mean then in verse 24? What does it mean here in verse 26b? Here's what it means. Unbelieving Jews and Greeks. God saved a bunch of unbelieving Jews and Greeks and he added them to the church. Here's the key. To be on mission with the gospel, what Saul and Barnabas did is they went out and not only cared for the church and met with the church, but they went out and had evangelistic meetings with unbelieving Jews and Greeks ongoingly. See, it's two different things there. It's two different groups of people there. They met with the church in verse 26, and, and, they taught a great many people. So these were probably open meetings. There was a lot of interest in Antioch about this. Who is this new group of people? What is this sect? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? What are these Hebrews trying to teach us? And they taught him Jesus. 
As Schnabel would say in his commentary, the quote on the screen, Barnabas and Saul instructed the believers in the church and they engaged in evangelistic outreach, teaching Jews and Greeks about the good news of Jesus, Israel's Messiah and the Savior of the world. To be steadfast in God's purpose, to be on mission with the gospel, is to do both, church. It's to do both. To have faith to meet together, break bread, encourage one another, study about Jesus, help disciple one another, and, and, and this is where I pray for the Spirit to motivate us. I pray for us to be steadfast and encouraged this morning to go out and preach Jesus to unbelievers. 2% in Miami go to church. 98% are unbelievers. I'd say we've got a very wide open field. (laughs) May God give us grace. Oh, and I love the last lines in verse 26. Look at this, the last sentence in verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. No longer Jews, no longer Gentiles, but a new people of God, Jew and Gentile, Christians. We studied that in Ephesians, didn't we? He's broken the dividing wall down. A new church is planted that's primarily Gentile. The old church, Jerusalem, is brothers and sisters with the new church in Antioch, and that's displayed in the last couple of verses, verses 27 to 30, quickly. The church in Jerusalem sends up Christian prophets to encourage the brothers in Antioch. They prophesy of a famine. There probably was a famine during that time. Maybe it wasn't worldwide, but it certainly affected Judea. And one of the brothers and sisters in Antioch, a bunch of Gentiles, what do they do? And they're wealthy. They're businessmen. It's a trading place. They get all their money together. They give it to Barnabas and Saul, and they they say, go down to Jerusalem and help feed our Jewish brothers and sisters. Because we're no longer Jew nor Gentile. We are in Christ. We are Christians. It's the first time they're called Christians. They probably didn't call themselves that, by the way. Believers didn't use the term Christian until maybe the second or third century. But the world saw them that way. And it may have started as a mocking thing. Christians. But what did they recognize? People that were very different racially. They were very different ethnically. They were very different culturally. We're now together. They were in Christ. That's what it means to be on mission with the gospel. So here's my appeal to you this morning as we conclude. Would you hear God's voice? May the hand of the Lord be with you and me. May the Holy Spirit now in his presence and power enable us to rejoice in God's grace. Oh, friends. Rejoice in God's grace that he has called you to be part of Palm Vista, that he's called us to preach the gospel so that we might be steadfast in God's purpose, that we might declare and demonstrate Jesus, (laughs) That, that he would captivate us, that we rejoice in the people that are in these seats right now, And that we remain steadfast to preach Jesus, to believe that there are elect that God has in this city, fast bound by the chains of sin, but due for release at God's appointed time as we preach the gospel faithfully, as we remain on mission with the gospel. And we bust out of this place 
And God has his people, Christians, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And we remain steadfast on mission for the gospel. I pray that that would be the case. And I want to pray right now. Let's bow our heads. Worship team, would you please join me up here? Lord God, I, I stand before you and I thank you that you have called us together on the mission. Lord, that you've given us the word of life, Jesus. And you've called us to preach Jesus and to live Jesus and to center our solar system, as Bentley preached last week, on Jesus, and to know that Jesus is the center, the rock, the foundation, the shelter. He's my all in all. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to your grace afresh and anew this morning. And I pray that you would move upon us, that we might be steadfast in your mission. Show us Christ. Move in our midst. For when you move, oh God, our lives are changed. When you move, we know a taste of heaven. (coughs) When you move, Lord, we cry out for more. We say, Lord, come and move. Fill us with your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name.